It's a very great joy to be with you today with my wife. It's always like coming home. This congregation means a very great deal to all of us, to both of us, and to our ministry. And we say thank you for all that you've meant to us throughout 2019. And indeed for the last 15 years since we left ministry in Northern Ireland to travel to Africa. We never, never, never expected that. But God's wonderful plan for our lives is full of surprises and challenges. And we thank God for that entrustment. Many of you know that I come from a family of 14 children. There were seven boys and seven girls. My dear mother is now in her 90th year, and she's still with us. And in the next um, week, she has an appointment with the doctor, with the hospital, as plans are being made for a cancer surgery. Could I ask you please to pray for her very especially this week? I value that immensely. She loves the Lord. I had the joy of seeing her come to Christ under my ministry. My father was an alcoholic that made our home a very sad home, indeed a very tragic home in many ways. And I thank God that he heard my prayer of some 30 years, 35 years perhaps, and my father gave his life to Christ. I had prayed that he would not only get saved, but that he would be spared to prove that he was truly born again and changed on the inside. I prayed that God would give him seven good years. I had uh, Joseph's dream in mind when I prayed that prayer. And the Lord was pleased to give him eight years. And he never missed the prayer meeting, was a regular attender at church, and he was not ashamed of Christ, and God used him to lead others to Christ. That was a happy, happy day when I heard that news. And just this past week, uh, there was further good news. I got a phone call from my mother, and she said, you'll be happy to know, Gilbert, that Robin got saved yesterday. He too was either an alcoholic or bordering on alcoholism at 54 years of age. A year ago, on the 12th of December, he was having two cans of beer for his breakfast. He had been drinking for 35 uh, years, uh, quite heavily. And what was very, very strange, as he tried to open a can of beer, it wouldn't open. And no matter what he did, he couldn't get it open. And he heard a voice saying to him, Robin, you have done this long enough. It's time to quit. Somehow he knew it was the voice of God to him. And he took the two cans of beer, unopened, 
And he opened the back door of the house and he dropped them into the bin. And he has never touched alcohol since. He started to go to church. He was a very shy uh, man. And he always dressed a little bit scruffy. I hope he doesn't hear that I said that about him. But he got himself a new suit. And he dressed up. And he looked like a businessman going to transact some grand deal somewhere in the world. And instead of being shy and retiring and embarrassed about himself, he began to speak to people in the church, this Nisky Independent Methodist, began to shake hands with people and say, I'm very pleased to see you, kept attending church. And over quite a number of months, Along with a friend, he started praying and reading the Bible. And just last Wednesday morning, he was under such deep conviction of sin, he said to his friend, please, please ring John Byers. Some of you may know him, a police officer now. I think he's a pastor or an evangelist. I'd like John to come. I want to talk to him. And John led him to Christ last Wednesday morning. I talked with him, and there was a really powerful, clear note about his testimony and his coming to Jesus Christ. He turned up for the church prayer meeting for the first time on Thursday evening, shook hands with everybody, told them what happened. He had met Jesus. That's a good story. At the beginning of any year, or really at any time of the year. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, it's time you were. It may not be drink that's holding you back. It may be something ridiculously simple. But if you don't overcome that hurdle... It's going to take you to the lake of fire. And the Christ who died for you, and the Christ who loves you, and the Christ who's calling you today, he'll not call forever. What he did for my brother, he can do for you. Now, not all of my family are saved, but quite a number are. I had a brother who took seriously ill last year, In fact, he almost died. He had three heart attacks. He was a professing Christian. Never missed church, never missed the prayer meeting. He was that close to death and dying, that close. Maybe I'll put it a little bit closer than that. He was a hair's breadth away from eternity. But as he went through a process, a long process of recovery... In hospital, he admitted he got away from God. He had started smoking. He was a secret smoker. And he was keeping company he shouldn't have been keeping. Going to church, praying in the prayer meeting, and all of those things. But he was away from God. He was backslidden in heart. And only for those who knew him 
best, knew that he was actually backslidden in some areas of his life openly. Didn't turn to alcohol, but I'm saying he was hooked on smoking and other things. And you could be here this morning, and you could have a story, something similar. He was very grateful to God for sparing his life. We constantly thank God that he was spared. And he realized that he was so close to death. And if God had taken him, what then? What then? You cannot play fast and loose with God. You cannot cheat or deceive God in any way. He knows, he knows all of these things. Tonight I plan talking about Africa. And I ask you, if you've never heard about our ministry, please come. We have a praise service on the 20th of this, of this month. And the leadership of this lovely church and your esteemed pastor, uh, he has allowed us to use the building for that event. It's a praise service. We've been in Africa 15 years. We want to celebrate. But it's really about the Garden of Hope. Our children's home there, that has upwards of 40 children, beautiful kids, some of whom would be dead long since if it had not been that our paths crossed on the Jericho Road. And we have a school. We bought land and built a school, and we have extended it two times, and we're doing another extension at the moment that is costing in excess of 50000 We never went to Africa to do that, but God led us very, very, very clearly to do that. For as much as you do it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you do it unto me. And that has been a great, great honor. So it's about the Garden of Hope. There will be a 10 to 15 minute video um, presentation with music. There will be no speaking. No speaking. Sometimes people complain that I talk too long. Uh, I don't talk too long, really. I just have a lot to say. <laughs> I hope you believe me. I'm not long-winded. But I love what I'm doing. And I love the one about whom I'm speaking. And I come from Africa, where one of our meetings lasted for five hours recently. And we're going back there. And we're going to a place where there's no more time. I know you're saying, well, we go by the clock here. <laughs> we keep time here. I know that. But please forgive me if I try your patience from time to time. But tonight, what I'm planning to do is to bring you a missionary challenge. I do that in every meeting. Some people, they say, let me see more pictures. Let me hear more about Africa. <clears throat> but I want to challenge the heart. And I think that this emphasis that my dear brother, Pastor Bertie, 
as organized for the month of January on the Sunday evenings. I think it's all about that. Challenging, challenging you. In the church I pastored for 18 years in Banbridge, that emphasis was constant about selling out and abandoning our lives to the will of God. And six young men and ladies were called into the Lord's service. David Burke, who's coming here at the end of the month, he's one of them. And the young lady to whom uh, he married, uh, Rachel McCandless, as she was, was one of our best workers. And David's younger brother, um, Jonathan, married again to one of our young ladies, one of our key workers. Both were called from our church into the Lord's service, and others. I remember reaching a point and uh, saying to the Lord, Lord, <laughs> we're a relatively small congregation here. Please, please, Lord, give us a break. Give us a break. <laughs> when we've got these young people trained and they're taking care of departments of the ministry uh, so that I don't need to worry, I, I, I'm free to do other things, uh, you, you just take them away. I said, I'm very happy you did do that, Lord, but Lord, don't call anybody else. And I think the Lord has a sense of humor because the Lord spoke to my wife and I and he says, I want both of you to leave and I want you to go to Africa. And so we're in the will of God. My wife has reached 70 and I'm in my late 60s. And um, we're still seeking to go strong. Our lives have been in danger not once but many times. Thank you to those who prayed for us last year when we were within the grasp of Al-Shabaab on the border of Somalia where so much mayhem and so much macabre deaths have taken place. God delivered us out of the mouth of the lion. Hallelujah. Many prayed that God would make us invisible, and he did. And two Cuban doctors, I think who should have been us, one a surgeon and the other a GP, who were working in that area, were snatched, and there's a million-dollar bounty on their head. We think they're still alive. That's nine months ago. But God spared us. Our names could have been splashed in the provincial newspapers or the national newspapers, but the Lord delivered us because people prayed. People were awakened and aroused in the middle of the night to cry to God for us. But I'd rather be in Africa and be within the grasp of Al-Shabaab and in uh, the den of lions, and we're not there very often, than be out of the will of God or taking it easy at this stage in our lives. Thank you for praying. Now, I want to bring a message to you today from the heart of God. I wish I had two hours, but I haven't. I mean that sincerely. You don't ever, ever complain to your pastor if he preaches long. Thank God. Thank God that the Holy Ghost has come upon him to give you a message with breadth and depth to it. 
Don't ever complain about any visiting speaker. Leonard Ravenhill was one of the most dynamic preachers of this generation or last generation. People used to complain that he preached too long. We can go to a shop and very quickly we can get what we need just like the click of a finger. And we think we can come to church and get the power of God and get a holy heart and get faith and get the call of God and find the will of God at the clip of a f- click of a finger, you know, just because we were there. You don't know this book or the God who authored it. No, 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 no. I prayed that God would prepare your heart for what I have to say today. Perhaps um, the vital message that God has for you has already been said. Or some. Like that powerful prayer that we prayed a moment ago. Challenge you to look at the words of that prayer, that hymn again. 407, was it? Write it out and pray it each day of this week. Would you do that? That's a powerful, powerful hymn. And it's the prayer of my heart. I like to be comfortable when I speak. And I'll do what I frequently do in Africa. I want to read the word of God to you now. The message I bring to you today, some in the congregation may say, There he goes again. He is getting a little bit legalistic. When somebody wants to be negative about the message that God is giving, that's what they say. Oh, that's that's legalism. When they say that, be sure, be sure that they have been nipped, that they've been pierced. Some might say, that's not for me. Um, And they come up with a theological excuse and say, well... I can't live up to that, and you know, God knows my failures, and I confess my sins every night before going to bed, and I pray every morning that God will help me not to sin. Theological excuses are of the most dangerous kind, and they don't wash with the Holy Ghost. They don't impress God one little bit. You're either clean or you're unclean, holy or unholy. You're either living in victory or defeat. You're either filled with the Holy Ghost or you're living on empty. You're either going through with God or you're a compromiser. Was Jesus not being as plain as that when he talked about the broad road, wide is the road, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction? That's black and white. Narrow is the way. Um that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Many are looking for a cushioned cross, an easier way. Many are looking for a Christianity that doesn't cost. You'll not find it in the Bible. Don't know where you'll find it, but you'll not find it in the Bible. We're living in an age when many read the newspaper more than they read the Bible. Many know the names of all the football players, their wives and their children, and they're so sold out and devoted to the football club, the football team, but they don't know the heroes 
and the great saints and servants of God in the Bible. Shame. Reli uh, football, for your information, is a false religion. There's a lot of people who say they're atheists, but they're not atheists when it comes to football. They believe in something. They've got a religion like communism. They're there, and they'll pay 40, 60, 80, maybe 150 pounds to go to football match. But they never give anything, anything remotely like that in the collection in church. And they stay in a hotel and they pay, an, pay for an air ticket to support their team. What are you giving to support the kingdom of God? If you're more in love with your football team, and if you do believe, as some said, that David Beckham, he's off the scene a little now, that he was more popular than Jesus Christ, if you believe in that kind of religion that comes from the crass world, you're really far away from being a Bible Christian. So we're turning to 1 Samuel and chapter 2, please, and maybe a few verses from the end of Psalm 91, for good measure. <clears throat> I'm going to pray first. Lord, bless the Word of God as its pages are opened now. I can hear the flutter of the pages, which is very beautiful. And Lord, you're listening to our heartbeat, the flutter of our hearts after the things of God, and that's pleasing, very pleasing to you. Lord, open the Word of God and its truth to us today, and Lord, open heaven and open your heart to us, and I pray that you'd open my heart and my mouth to speak the Word of God. I'm not here to be well thought of or to be popular. If I was, I wouldn't come. I wouldn't bother. What would be the point? But I want to give your word to the people. And I know I will have to give an account of this message. And all the people will have to give an account of hearing this message too in their response. Lord, be with us. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven upon the message and the ministry. Help me to do my part. And I know, Lord, that you will do yours. Be gracious unto us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you're allowed to say amen. That means, Lord, answer that prayer. Lord, answer that prayer. Feel free to do that. I'll not be in any way intimidated. Verse 22, 2 and 22. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel and how they lay with the woman. Now these are the ministers. These are the clergymen, the pastors. How they lay with the woman that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If the ministers and pastors are not living right, they lead and they encourage the congregation to sin. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. 
And there came a man of God. Thank God for men of God. They're still around today. They're still around today. There was, there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the home or the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore, wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest, that's the key word, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourself fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever, but now the Lord saith, be it far from me, for them that honor me, this is my text, them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Just a few verses from Psalm 91, verse 14, because he hath set his love upon me, that is the believer setting his love upon God, because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath made known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. And what else? I will honor him. Setting your love upon God, calling upon God, I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Many years ago, when I was a teenager, not quite 14, just one month of my 14th birthday, I found Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in a very ungodly environment, as I've described to you a little earlier. And the Lord kept me. I never complained to God that my circumstances were so difficult. Sometimes I was thrown down the stairs by my father because he thought I shouldn't be wasting time. I should be out attending to the stock or I should be out in the fields. He threw me down the stairs on my head. Sometimes when I got a little notice he was coming, I leaped out of an upstairs window of our home to escape his wrath. I had a heart that was thirsty for God. I used to go to the woods to pray, and I thought nobody heard, but my mother complained that I was behaving like a, a man who was um, psychiatric or insane. I used to pray out in the fields. I used to pray around the yard in the outhouses. There was hardly a corner of any 
outhouse or the corner of any field where I'd not called upon the name of the Lord. I hope, I hope in God's name that I've not lost that fire or fervor or passion for the things of God. In those days, God exercised me about restitution. I had been a pilferer for many years before I got converted. God said, you've got to pay back what you've stolen. I said, Lord, how can I? can't even remember all that I've stolen. But the Lord said, you've got to do it. I used to hear people preaching on restitution. I didn't understand that was too big a word for me. It hadn't yet got into my vocabulary. But the Lord taught me I had to make amends. God requireth that which is past. It took me several years, and God miraculously, miraculously provided for me to traverse for miles and to cycle for miles and miles around to pay back men who never suspected me as being the thief of their good, paying them back. I want to say to you that Calvary does not cover what you can uncover. During the time of the Troubles, There were preachers who counseled men who had committed murder not to confess it. Now, that's not in the Bible. Men who had done terrible deeds don't confess it. And many were arrested, but they were silent. I'm saying when God has converted your soul, truly, you will make good And you'll make amends for your past. I had a friend who died recently. I was his pastor when I was in Mogashal over the way here, independent, uh, back in uh, 1979. I came there for seven years. And John had been a murderer in a very horrific situation in our country. He'd been arrested many times, but never confessed, never confessed. They couldn't pin anything on him. But after he got saved, they arrested him again. And he says, yes, I'm your man. I'm guilty. And he got a very, one of the longest terms of imprisonment that anybody ever got. I'd lost touch with him after visiting him in, 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 in prison, McGabry, for many years. But I was so pleased to meet up with him in Belfast one day. And he became very, very interested in our work and was a great supporter, but took cancer and died. And I grieve, I grieve his passing. But he didn't confess. I'm saying we need to put things right with God and with our fellow man. I know some men, and they had to sell a good portion of their property in order to pay their income tax bill. There's a young man in Banbridge, and you ought to invite him sometime to come and give his testimony. Ryan Williamson. And he was so prosperous, prosperous, but he was dishonest. And it cost him dearly, dearly to get right with God and to get right with the inland revenue. We must pay our bills We must sort out the past. But I'm saying to you all of this just to make a point. As a young Christian, God spoke this word into my heart. I don't know if it was the first time. And by the way, it now hangs in my study. Them that honor me, I will honor. 
God spoke that word in my heart. It took a hold of me. It fired up my spirit. It broke me. It caused me to fall on my face. I said, Lord, I want to do that. I want to be there. I want to honor you in every area and department of my life. Whatever it costs me, Lord, I surrender to you. And I pray for grace, grace, day by day by day. To keep doing that. And for 52, almost 53 years now, that has been my covenant with God. And that has been the aim and the passion of my life. And at the beginning of 2020... A beautiful and impressive selection of numbers. Very easy to remember and very easy to articulate. 2020. At the beginning of 2020, I'd like this to be the covenant of your heart between you and your God. Them that honor me, I will honor. There's a few... Quite a few things I'd like to say about that. Time will not permit me to say all of them, but I'll say what I can. If you will be patient and listen. I call it a timeless text. Because it's 3,000 years old. It was written by Samuel, and I believe it was the motto of his life, although a man of God brought it, as we read a moment ago, to him or to the house of Eli. In fact, it was a a message of condemnation to Eli, the senior minister, the high priest, the man who had such a, um, a knowledge of God's law. And you can have such an insight into the Bible and its teachings. But the thing is this, are you obeying what you know, what God has shown to you? Eli broke down at that point. He knew the theology. The church in the United Kingdom, the church in the West, and here in Northern Ireland were blessed with the greatest number of the best preachers anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world. There's good teaching and good preaching. And we have many who go around sermon tasting. If you don't preach well, they'll soon let you know. They'll go out and they'll talk and complain that was uh, a very flat meeting. That was a very empty message. Got nothing out of it. But maybe most of the congregation did. And maybe they were not in the place with God to hear what God was saying. Sermon tasting. I'm saying if we would only obey, 
If the church would <coughs> close down for six months or three months or maybe even a year, and if we were to obey the light that we received, it would be salutary for the nation and for all of us. This book will be opened before us on the day of judgment at the great Bema or Bema seat judgment. It will be opened and we will be <clears throat> investigated in regard to how we obeyed and walked in the light of it. Absolutely. Eli knew the, the word of God, but he didn't put it into practice. You might as well have never, never read it or known it. But godly young Samuel latched onto it. Was he there when the man of God was speaking? Possibly. Did he hear these words coming from his mouth? Perhaps. And if he did, he felt this is God's word to me, and I want this to be my motto. I want this to be my motto. Because even though his sons went astray in their lifetime, and there were priests also, nobody could point a finger at godly Samuel. Nobody. At the end, he gathered all the people together and he says, Have I, have I taken any bribes? Have I been untruthful? Have I been false? Have I been inconsistent or deceitful? Have I done anybody any wrong? Do I owe anybody here anything? He said as an old, old man before he went home to heaven to his reward. And have been many times to his burial place in the Holy Land. He's remembered still with great, great affection. His tomb is there to be seen and witnessed. Them that honor me, I will honor. Here we have some things that I now leave with you. I'm saying here we have a biblical principle of honoring and also dishonoring God. Each carries a promise or a peril, a warning. Very, very quickly, can I talk a while about dishonoring God? You could be dishonoring God in your life and in your conduct, in how you speak to people, how you treat your husband, your wife, your children, how you behave at work, how you behave in church, how you deal with your neighbors. You could be dishonoring God and not even be aware of it. That's not a good place to be because it indicates insensitivity of conscience. It indicates you're not reading the Word of God. Let me um, uh, just quickly mention a few things, please. And I've said there's quite a few, but I'll not have time to deal with all of them, but that doesn't matter, doesn't concern me too much. When we are economical with the truth... We dishonor God. Remember that amazing man of faith, the friend of God, actually. Um, he began to be called Abraham. 
when there was famine in Israel, he said, we better go somewhere where there's food. And he packed up his things and took Sarah and took all his servants and his cattle and herds with him and went to Egypt. And on the way there, he said, Sarah now, you're my wife and you're very beautiful. And it's very possible when we get to Egypt, people will admire your beauty and some people might even desire to marry you. And that'll put my life in peril. And I want you to do something for me. What's that, Sarah asked? I want you to pretend that I'm not married to you. Tell the people you're my sister. And the irony of the story was she was his sister. They had the same father but different mothers. She was his stepsister or half-sister. But he says, I want you to tell the people that you're my sister because it'll save my life. It'll save me from injury. Now, here's a man of God being economical with the truth. Have you ever done that? Or are you doing that? Being economical with the truth? Economical with the truth? It's, it's quite a big uh, uh, section of words, but there's a shorter word for that, you know. It's called lies. And there's a list in the book of the Revelation, chapter 22. And it says that in the lake of fire, amongst the homonger and sorcerer and murderers, there is the liar. The Word of God calls the Christian to strict account. We ought to be transparent. We ought to be accountable and responsible and honest in the words that we speak. Every day, you say, that's a tall order. Not any taller than the Scriptures, if you're a Christian. If you are a liar or economical with the truth, God cannot answer your prayers. Because the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Then, I say also, when we commit sexual sin, we dishonor God. And that was part of the downfall of Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli. They were probably good preachers. And they probably were well uh, educated, well informed about uh, the things that pertain to Old Testament theology at the time. And they may have been gifted administrators. And they may have had a, a core group of people with whom they were very popular. But there was young women around who had consecrated their lives to the service of God at the temple. I mean at the tabernacle at Shiloh. And they were a very easy prey for bad people. And they forced themselves upon these young ladies. They raped the godly sisters, the holy women of God. 
at the tabernacle at the tabernacle in Shiloh. Because they had some kind of authority, nobody could say no to them. And the father was old and couldn't really chastise them the way you would with a younger child. They were immoral. And we are living in a day when there's much immorality, not only out there in society, but within many Christian families and within the house of God. There is almost, I'll not say everything, but almost everything that goes on out there, it's happening in the house of God. And a lot of it is covered up. I want to say to you, you cannot cover up sin. If you're sexually immoral, at least two people know that's you and the other person implicated. And more disturbingly, there's a God in heaven who knows. And there's nothing surer it will come to light one day. And you'd better carry out an investigation of where you're at. Because the, the sexual encounter, the affair, the unfaithfulness to your wife, to your husband, it may be the fantasy of a moment, but I want to tell you that it'll come back to haunt you and it will not go well with you at the judgment. And it's bringing a curse and it's bringing barrenness. And it's hindering prayer being answered. It's bringing defeat into your life. And God alone knows what else it's doing. It's damning your family. And damning your community. Oh, say you say you're speaking too strong. When I'm speaking any more strong than the Bible. Or something that's not in the Bible. Stand up and wave your hymn book. Or throw it at me. And get somebody to assist you. To escort me from the building. Sometimes I preach in Africa and they say to me, you know, uh, man of God, and I don't particularly want people to call me that. I often ask them, don't, don't you introduce anybody as a man of God until you've known him at least for 50 years. You don't know enough about me to call me by that title. But they say, man of God, you know, there's a church up the road there. And if you preach that message there, they would have taken you out and stoned you. I said, I'm ready to be stoned. And if I'm knocked unconscious when I come round again, I'll come back in and start where I left off. And I'm not saying those things to be funny, but that is the heartbeat I have in here for this book and to uphold its standards, God's standards and law. Sexual immorality. Remember, Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians about a lot of these things. And some of it was horrendous, horrendous. And he was uh, addressing it head on. And he even handed over some of these wicked people to Satan. So that their body might be destroyed. And perchance their souls might be saved. I don't understand all that theology fully. But I'm saying what's in Paul's Corinthian letter. I say when you're economical with the truth. And when you commit sexual Immorality, you are dishonoring God and dishonoring your family and dishonoring God's family, the house of God. When we gossip, when we slander or carnally criticize another, we are dishonoring God. Did you know the word gossip comes from a word I discovered um, uh, some time ago from a book on etymology? It comes from the origin of 
um, the maternity world. Back in the 16, 1700s, when a lady was giving birth, um, it wasn't a private affair, really. Everybody, everybody came to the house to be there when the child arrived. And they came for days, days and days before the event took place. And they used to talk about everything. They talked about everything, all the scandal, all the stories, all, I mean, they would make up stories uh, to have something to say. And they were called Godsips, G-O-D-S-I-P-S, Godsips. And it was from that word, Godsip, and it was from the maternity room where a lot of women generally had gathered that that word came from. And I'm saying there's a lot of gossip in church. A lot of idle talk, worldly talk. There's a lot of immoral talk. There's a lot of stories peddled and they get bigger and bigger and worse and worse. And sometimes people have been destroyed. Heard of a lady one time who slandered her minister. And she accused her minister before the leadership of the church that he had been unfaithful to her without giving due opportunity for trial and for indeed discussion and getting to know the facts. The wife threw him out. The congregation resigned him on the spot. So brokenhearted, so much despairing, pleading, pleading, that he, did, he was innocent of these charges. He went and he hanged himself. Suicide is always wrong. Always wrong. And the lady who'd done the wrong, she came forward and said, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize this would... It would take this turn of events. Uh, 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 it wasn't true. It wasn't true. I just made it up. But it was too late to repair that very complex situation, was it not? I say if ever a work was forged on hell's anvils, if every, ever a work or a strategy was spawned by the demons of hell, gossip, gossip is the thing. And gossip should never, 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 never be on the lips, even in the mind or heart of any Christian, anybody who's serious with God, or living the Christian life. You say you're speaking too strong. Amen, if I am. But it's in the book. It's in the book, clearly. When we hate or hurt our brother or sister in Christ... We dishonor God. When we are lazy, lethargic in our Christian life, in our walk with God, in our responsibilities as a father, our parent, when we're idle, when we ought to find our place in the service of Christ and the ministry of the church and do something, I'm saying it's dishonoring God. Only one life. Only one life to will very, very, very soon be passed. And only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. 
I want to say, and this is a very basic point, when we fail to read the Word of God and pray every day, nothing could be any more basic than that. Reading the Word of God and praying every, every, every day. Preferably morning and evening. I'm saying I don't want you even to allow the word legalistic to get into your head. There's such a thing as a good habit, a godly habit, a godly practice that keeps you faithful and true to God. This is it. This is it. Reading the Word of God and praying every day. The night I got saved, I had never read the Bible wanting to do so. Never. But the night I found Jesus Christ, I came home and I confessed Jesus Christ to my mother and father who were sitting in the sitting room. My father was sitting back there and my mother was here sitting beside the fire. I said, uh, I've got saved tonight in the mission. I'm born again. I'm a Christian now. I wasn't sure my father would throw something at me. Or he would say something very harsh. There was silence. Silence. I think they were hoping, they were hoping it was true because I was untamable and wild and reckless. I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of that. And I quietly turned around and left. I went up the stairs and I began to rummage around looking for a Bible. I was only saved an hour and I'm looking for the Word of God. By and by I found it, and when I found it, I opened the Word of God, and I got down on my knees beside my bed. And that has been my practice for 52 and a half and more years. And if I hadn't done that, I would be nowhere today. I would not have gone on with God. I have read the Word of God and prayed morning and evening. And I've read books and I've sought after God and thirsted for more knowledge and more insight. And I'm saying to you, dear brothers and sisters, at the beginning of a new year, make a covenant with God. I will honor you by reading your word every day and I'll pray every day. Would you do that? I believe, now this is a hazarded guess. Way less than 50% of Christians, maybe as few as 10% of Christians, all over the land read the Word of God and pray every day. And very, very, very few Christians observe family worship in their home. My wife and I pray every morning together. We did that all the years our children were in the home. We prayed with them, and later on we prayed together for the needs of the church, and then we prayed in the evening with our children, and then we prayed together before retiring. If there was a revival of family worship in every home in this church, it would generate revival. And you would see family members getting saved, <coughs> family members coming to Jesus. You would see blessing in the church and in the community. And you may not realize it, but our country, our beloved province, and our beloved United Kingdom, we are closer to the brink, closer to the edge. We are on the very cusp of the judgment of God. 
I fear. Oh, I hope I'm a million times wrong. But I believe that we are gradually, gradually getting closer to judgment. And we can stave and we can stymie and we can, we can stop that happening if we get on our knees, indeed on our faces. I preached recently in a congregation of 2,000 people. The congregation's normally 3,000 people. The congregation's normally 7,000 in Gisubu, in Ethiopia. And the service I had lasted, started at 7, and now it's, I preached for two hours. It's midday, and I'm closing the service. And as I do so, the entire congregation got down on their knees and they bowed their heads right down, a lot of old ladies right down on the ground until their faces touched the, the floor. The seats weren't comfortable and the floor wasn't anything special. And there was a groan, <coughs> a groan, <coughs> that's all I can describe it as, a groan, a wave of groaning in the spirit that, that, that came across like a, almost a wind in the congregation. And that lasted for over half an hour until, until my colleague, Dr. Gazal, brought it to an end. I'm saying, dear people, we need to rediscover the dynamic of prayer. We need to rediscover devotion. And it's a very basic thing, very basic, basic thing. But we're too negligent. <coughs> and it's possible to be having a quiet time. And really, really, it's just a semblance. It's just an excuse. We need to give time to God and to the Word of God. I'm saying this book is the most neglected book in the world. And it's dynamite. It's dynamite. Them that honor me. Are you honoring the Word of God by reading it? My dear wife is here. She was a missionary in Kenya in 1974 for a number of years. And we were courting and we knew one day we'd be married. We didn't know when or how. And she used to write to me and I would write to her. And letters came back and forth every month. And when I got that letter, I was on my mission um, schedule and program. I got a quiet place. I opened that letter. I knew already where it came from and who it came from. And I read that letter again and again and again. And it's no secret why I did that. I loved Margaret. I loved my wife. And if you love God, you'll want to read his word. And you'll want to keep his commandments. And you'll want to obey him. And you'll want to serve him. I believe that. Oh, yes. I'm calling all of us here today back to the Word of God. And you can't just start doing that. You need to repent. You need to repent of the months or the years you've neglected that. A lot of us stop and start, stop and start, and when we get into a corner, we get back to prayer, and then we forget and we're away again. We need to get back to the Word of God, and should it cost us our lives, get back to the Word of God. Get back to the quiet place. <clears throat> Nothing will take the place, not family worship or the family altar. You need a time alone with God. 
And if I do not have time alone with God and with his word every day, I feel that day is wasted or lost. I feel that the, the enemy of God and the church has got the upper hand. I call you back to prayer. I call you back to the quiet place of rendezvous with God. I call you back to devotion. The men of God, Puritans, Huguenots, the Methodists, men and women of God down the centuries, this was the secret, the secret of their power. They were intimate with God, and so should you be. Now, do not make an excuse. Do not go out and complain. I say you need to repent, and if you repent publicly, better, better, better still. When we use profane language, we dishonor God. A lot of Christians use profane language. A lot of professing Christians, they tell rude and sexually tainted jokes just to make people laugh or to make you accepted in the present company, or you're in company that does that, and you listen, and you laugh with the world, that is not pleasing to God. Now, if that smacks of legalism, put the word out of your mind, as I told you at the beginning, that is sin. That is sin. Our conversation needs to be clean. And there's many people who use words like, forgive me for doing so publicly, jeepers, That's a slang word for Jesus. Some use the word G. That is an abbreviation uh, of God or Jesus. Some use the word crikey. That is a blasphemous word. And a lot of people come out quite openly and they say, Oh, Jesus, oh, God. It's very, very common in African culture. And I condemn it outrightly. And I'm condemning it here today. If you are using a vocabulary that is profane, remember the commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And I want to tell you, if you were a Muslim and you said anything bemeaning the name of Muhammad, can you imagine what might happen and how quickly? You would be beheaded. At least you would get maybe 50 or 60 lashes of the whip in public if you came close to blaspheming Muhammad. And yet the name of the living God, the name of Jehovah, the beautiful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever reprimand somebody? If people use God's name in vain when when you're around, I want to say you can fail God by not reprimanding them. You say, excuse me, I would prefer you did not use that language. The one about whom you're speaking just now happens to be my best friend. And how dare you insult my God and my Savior? There's blasphemy in the house of God and amongst the saints. And we need to repent of it. Oh, yes. In discipline... 
indiscretion, inappropriate behavior is dishonoring to God. Failing as a husband, as a wife, as a father or mother is dishonoring to God. You know your duty as a husband to your wife, as a wife to your husband, as parents to your children. You need to repent if you have broken down in any of these departments. Neglecting the means of grace, we're about to break bread and celebrate what we call Holy Communion. And it is a Holy Communion with God and with Jesus Christ. And there are some of the saints who never, 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 they can't even remember when last they broke bread. You ought to make arrangements some way, somehow. If you have children, you and your husband ought to alternate at least. You ought to make an arrangement. You must not just walk out because you've got visitors coming. Tell your visitors to hold on and come at a later time. And if you're preparing lunch, you can put lunch off for a little while longer. What is the most important? Your fellowship with God around the table of remembrance or the meat that perisheth. I say no excuse. And your children are... Do they ever ask you, Mom, why, why, why don't you stay for communion? Dad, you haven't been at... Com-. Do they ever ask you? If you love him, did he not say, do this in remembrance of me? And he's saying, remember what I did for you on the cross? Remember the extent of my love for you? Does that mean anything to you? And when you break bread every Sunday, I'm not saying it's too often. It could never be too often. When my wife and I can't be somewhere to break bread, we break bread together in our home, if that's Africa or wherever. Do this in remembrance of me. It's an expression of your love, and it keeps you close to him and intimate with God. Oh, yes. I could say many more things, but I'm not going to. I wanted to talk about the positive side, how we honor God. And... If you want to carry on that uh, research yourself, uh, can I say it to you? You could consider the following. I think of the widow who honored God with her money. (laughs) She only had two mites. Two mites. (laughs) That wasn't a big amount of money. That even didn't add up to a, 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 a halfpenny. Or a farthing even. And she went into the house of God with taking small steps and she was hoping nobody would see her. Looked around and came near the collection plate or the point where the treasury was situated and she slipped her hand in her pocket and dropped in the two mites and then she went away. But she was seen. Jesus saw her. And he says, you know, to his disciples, you know, You see all those people around and about the front of the church or the temple? They give a lot of money. They give gold and silver and a lot of money. But that wee lady there, the little lady, the little widow, she gave far more than all of them. She gave in. She gave to God her whole living. Can I tell you something? And this is a true story of what I'm telling you about the widow. Can I tell you something? We're not told how the lady ended her life, how, she, how long she lived or where she lived. But this much I will conjecture. She never died of starvation. 
and she never died without a roof over her head. The Lord saw to that. She honored God with her penury. Now, it's none of my business, but I want to say this. The work of God on the mission field, it is greatly, greatly stretched. Forget about the fact that I'm there. Ignore that entirely. I don't want anything from you. Not anything. The work of God on the mission field could make far more positive and extraordinary advances if the people at home prayed more and gave more. And there's some people I know and have heard about, and they have got fortunes, fortunes. That's none of my business. I shouldn't even be mentioning it. And when they die, I don't know who's going to get it. And when Jesus comes back, I think Antichrist will help himself to it. Or there'll be some great crash of the stock market and everything will go down the drain. But I'm saying this, there are some people who have got means. There's worldly people and they're leaving millions, tens of millions to catteries and to dog kennels and the care of wild animals and sick donkeys. <coughs> and there's Christians and they hold on to it so tightly. Now, none of my business I know, none of my business, I'm aware of that, but I say you ought to invest what you have a little bit more carefully and with a bit more thought. And I'm not saying to anybody who has got little to give, you're doing more than you should. Some of you here are doing more than you should. But outside of this church, there's people who could do much, much more because they're doing nothing. <clears throat> In Africa, sometimes I see people I know, they're very well off, and they're putting two pence into the plate. You've got to come up front. And I know that when they close their fists and they put their hand down into the bowl or the bucket or the, the sack, I know that they're concealing They should be giving so much and they're giving so little. Honor God with your substance. And do we not read that in 1 Ecclesiastes 3? I think we do. Or um, Proverbs 3. Yes, I think it's Proverbs 3. So I'm I'm through here. Um, But um, oh my word, I'm so tempted. I'm so tempted. But my enemy is on the wall. He hasn't got a drawn sword, but uh, he's got two hands, and they look like swords. You know, two hands, and they could just pop out, and they could strike at me. A covenant with God. Can I ask this congregation now, and I'm not looking for a demonstration of any kind at all, how many in this house are willing to make a covenant with God along the lines of what I've been discussing and sharing with you from the heart of God. And I've told you things about myself, and surely I've been sharing my own heart with you. How many of you are willing to make a covenant with God to honor Him in 2020? I'm not going to sing anymore. I'm going to break bread. But I'm saying, if you want to make a covenant with God, I'm going to ask you to stand up, and I'll Pray for you in the closing prayer. I'll wait for a moment. Give you time. A covenant with God. 
I'm not calling you out to the front. If I was in Africa, I would. And I'd get you to do more than that. Them that honor me. Them that honor me. I will honor. Thank you. Just remain standing, please. Thank you. Margaret, will you join me in the pulpit, please? I'd like you to stand with me. I'm standing too. I'm standing for myself. And I want my wife beside me. Anybody else? It matters not to me if you or any stand, but it matters to God and it matters to this church. Gracious Father, this is your house, this is your day, and this is your word, and these are your people. I thank you for every one of them, those sitting and those standing. We don't want anybody to be embarrassed, anybody to be um, too inward looking, or feeling too much defeated or embarrassed. I thank you for all who have heard the word of God here today. And I pray now for those who are standing. You know their names. And I know some of them, Lord. Dear, dear people, I commend them to you. I pray for your blessing to be upon them. They're standing to acknowledge the principle of the word of God that is enunciated in 1 Samuel, the chapter 2 and the verse number 30. Them that honor me, I will honor. And those that despise me, or who dishonor me, will be lightly esteemed. Lord, I pray that you would ratify in heaven. Write it down, Lord, in your book, as I believe you will. Write it down in your book, the names of everybody standing. I'm making this covenant. I'm going to honor God. And you know the specifics of that, Lord. You know the specifics of that. Lord, we leave it in your hands entirely, entirely. It's between them and you, Lord. And I pray that there'll be a change in lives, in homes and families, a change in workplaces, a change in, Lord, society. Oh, God, a change in this church because a covenant has been made with God and kept. My wife and I, Lord, just now... We covenant afresh in Jesus' name on this day, on this day in January 2020, we covenant afresh to honor you in every area and department of our lives. Our finances, our time, our ministry, every time we stand up to speak your word, Lord, all our travels. And Lord, our uh, responsibilities to our family, now adults and grandchildren have come. Lord, in Jesus' name, we commit ourselves to honor 
and to glorify you in the lives we live and in the work that we do. Oh God, hear every one of us just now. There's thoughts going through minds and hearts. Some are saying, I covenant. Oh God, I covenant with you today. I covenant with you today. To read the Word of God, which I've not been doing, and to pray, which I've not been doing every day. Every day. Every day. And some are covenanting, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll come to the means of grace, I'll break bread, I'll meet with the saints there because I've been neglecting it and it's got easy to neglect it. Oh God, give grace, I pray, give grace to each one to do, Lord, and to be what you want us to be. Some are covenanting, I'll live a holy life. I'll surrender my life totally to God. I'll be filled with the Holy Ghost and I'll go and serve God wherever he, he leads me, whatever the cost. Lord, hear those covenants and those commitments, Lord, as lives are abandoned to you and to your will. Bless us now today, we pray. I thank you for your dear, loving, wonderful presence with us. We give thanks and we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.